thank you for being here for week two as we finish up emphasis week. So I, I've got a case going to trial in uh, November 3rd, I think, is our day to go to trial. Uh, uh, and it'll take about two or three weeks to try. It's out in Los Angeles. I represent the sugar growers of America and, and the sugar refiners. And we have brought a lawsuit against the, by the way, if anybody's ever listening to this on the internet or is here, and I'm suing who you work for, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and I will tell you, I am very careful never to knowingly sue a Christian. I don't believe that's the right thing to do. I've yet to meet, however, the organizations that I typically sue that ascribe to faith. They're typically entities. So anyway, we're suing the refiners of high fructose corn syrup because high fructose corn syrup, went. Did, uh, their market was going down and they decided to try and gain market from sugar. So they waged about a $135 million campaign changing, trying to change their name to sugar, corn sugar. And they advertised sugar is sugar, whether it comes from the cane or from the corn. And, and the sugar growers took offense at that and said, no, sugar is sugar. High fructose corn syrup is something that was invented in the 1970s. And so sugar through me, brought the lawsuit against high fructose corn syrup to make them quit advertising themselves as sugar and try to keep them from changing labels. And instead of the label saying high fructose corn syrup, being able to just write in sugar and claim that it's the same thing. So that's the basis of the lawsuit. So I went out to Los Angeles recently and I did what's called a focus group. It's one of many we've done. And um, one of the reasons I did the focus group is I wanted to know what issues are most important in the minds of potential jurors. And I need to know that because if I'm going to try the case well, I've got to make some very difficult choices as a trial lawyer. Now, many might think trial lawyers, all we do is just go in there and give an opening statement and cross-examine witnesses or examine witnesses and make a closing and all. No, there's a lot of decisions that go along the way. One of the biggest decisions as a trial lawyer is, which witness do I put on first? I've got a huge assortment of witnesses I can put on. I may have 20 witnesses. I've got a case scheduled in January where we have 78 witnesses. Supposed to last three months. And I've got to decide which one goes on first. And I want to tell you some of my rules. One of my trial rules is I lead with a trump card in, in uh, card language. I want to start with an, a witness that's strong, has punch, and is really going to deliver the goods. I want to lead with emphasis. And then every day, I try and put on the first witness out of the box. I try and put on testimony. While the jury's alert, while the jury's paying attention, I put the emphasis first. If I've got something bad I don't really like, I hope the jury has pizza for lunch, and I put it at about 2 in the afternoon. 
But if it's important, by golly, it's going front and center. Because emphasis is part of what I do when I try to communicate the world of a trial. Emphasis is just part of our lives. Now, we started this last week. These first couple of slides are a repeat from last week. But it's only because I got nothing better to give you. And some of you weren't here last week. I estimate 25% were not. So here's where we are. Emphasis is an important thing. And you can emphasize easily in English if you are writing. In English, okay, I've got to get this. Ah, there we go. In English, when you're writing, emphasis is not hard. You can do it by writing in bold print. You can do it by putting things in color if you're on a computer. You can underline things. You can use italics. You can use exclamation marks. You can put emoticons in your text or even draw them as pictures in your notes. You can express very well. You can highlight things when you express. We have this ability in our written language to put emphasis very well in English. But ancient Greek did not have those tools that we have. So without even as much as punctuation, oh, I guess technically they would use a semicolon, but that was their question mark. So without real punctuation, if you can't do something in bold or color or underline or italics with exclamation marks or emoticons, what are you going to do? I gave you the cartoon last week. Hey, geek, without punctuation, how do you tell the difference in a cat and a comma? Do you remember it? A cat has paws at the end of its claws, and a comma is a pause at the end of a clause. Okay. Well, I didn't get much laugh last week either, but I thought I'd try it again. So... How do the Greeks go about giving expression? They, just like I want to put emphasis in a trial, they want to put emphasis. Nobody writes to put people to, well, few people write to put people to sleep. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to emulate the best communication you can. And, you know, if... Lawyers, the famous saying, Ken, you know this, uh, among lawyers, is, is if, if you've got the, the facts on your side, you pound the facts. If you've got the law on your side, you pound the law. If you don't have either, you pound the table. You know, you gotta make some emphasis. That's just part of what we try to do. So the Greeks did it in three different ways prominently. There were some more subtle ways, but most prominent way the Greeks would do it is by word order. Second, they would do it with certain signal words. Third, they would do it with what we call double subjects. And we didn't make it through this whole lesson last week. So I want to go back. I'm going to start with word order. I'm going to give you another example or two. Then we're going to get over to uh, 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 point number two. And then we'll get to point number three, the double subjects. But let's do word orders, then we'll look at signal words and double subjects. Ancient Greek used word order to show emphasis, not simply because they needed to grammatically. In English, we have to read words that make sense. So we read left to right. Mark loves Becky. We know Mark is the actor. 
We know loves is the verb. We know Becky is the direct object. Uh, our daughter Rebecca on Friday. Rebecca turned 18. Yeah, a wonderful woman of God too. I'm very proud of her. But we know Rebecca is the one who turned 18. 18 did not turn into Rebecca. Okay? Now, in Greek, though, all of the words wear name tags. They wear labels. They carry signs just tagged onto the word. So the subject, Mark or Rebecca, is going to wear a big sign on it that says, I'm the subject. The verb is a verb. The direct object is going to wear a sign that says, I'm the direct object. And so, because they wear these signs, you can put them in any order you really want to. So, Greek, if you're reading Greek left to right, we don't read Greek left to right in the sense that we do in English to try and understand who loves whom. We read Greek left to right knowing whatever's on the left is the most important. Because like my trial, they're going to put the most important things first. And so you start reading from the left, and that's true if you're reading a sentence, but it's also true if you're just reading a clause. It's also true if you're just reading a, 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 a phrase. They'll stack. In other words, if they want to talk about the big red wagon, if they want to emphasize big, they put big first. The big red wagon. If they want to emphasize red, they put that first. The red big wagon. If they want to emphasize wagon first, they'll put that first. The wagon big red. And that's the way they worked. So, now, if you see that, the more the words to the left in a phrase or a sentence, or even a phrase, they'll put a phrase to the left if they want that phrase to be emphasized, the greater the emphasis. You with me? All right, let's look at an example we didn't get to last week. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And I've got it here. And I want to see how well this works. And so let's work on it together for a moment. I've got it on the screen. If you're listening on the radio, on the Terry Lowry show, or if you are watching by, or listening on a podcast, I guess. If you're watching by the internet, you ought to be able to see it. But what I've put up on for everybody to see is the Greek on the left and the English on the right. And I'm going to try and walk through it in words so that it's clear to people who cannot see it. This is a passage a lot of people are familiar with. If you are not familiar with it, it's a marvelous passage to learn. This is a passage where in the English, it's translated by the English Standard Version as follows. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Marvelous passage, right? Now what I'd like to do is look at it from the Greek and let's see which words Paul emphasizes. And we can either, if you've got your Bible, you can underline them, highlight them, do whatever you may do. But on this sheet, I'm going to do a combination of those. I've got a highlighter and a blue pen. And so I'll read you the Greek. And as I read the Greek, you follow along in the English. And I'm not going to read the Greek in Greek. That's not going to do many of you very much good. But I'm going to give you the English translation of the Greek words so that you can see how Paul is emphasizing them in the sentence. You with me? All right. Some Greek words, Greek's got a ton of little words that just really don't count all the time. They're signal words and, and, and words that, that don't really carry that much meaning. So to some degree, I'll leave those alone. This is the word the, um, the for grace. For the grace, by the grace, because of the sense. So you've got, for by grace, you are, you have been saved through faith. Now that works real good in the Greek. Do you see how the Greek charts, or the English charts the Greek very well? We get Paul's word order, Paul's emphasis. And this is not of you. And this is not your own doings, a translation, but it just says literally, this isn't coming out of you. This is the Greek word ex or ek. It means out of. So by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not coming from you. That's what that literally means. God. Of God is the gift. It doesn't say it's the gift of God with the emphasis on gift. The emphasis there is of God. This is theu. Theu is God, theos, with in the genitive case. It just means of or from. Of God it is. So here's what Paul's saying. By grace you've been saved through faith. This doesn't come from you. God is who it comes from. It's God's gift. And so we've got a little word order issue there. We lose the emphasis. Paul wants us to really bear down on the fact that this grace through which we've been saved doesn't come out of us. It comes out of God as a gift. It's a focus. Greek is really big. In fact, I hope next week to, to do the lesson on on. Really, this point. Greek is real neat into balance and contrasts, and 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 um, uh, and we see that in a lot of ways. And and here's the balance here. Paul's saying this doesn't come out of you. This comes out of God as a gift. And he makes that emphasis. And then he says in verse nine, not out of works. It's that same X. This doesn't come out of you. It's of God. It's a gift. It doesn't come out of works. 
in order that not you may boast. No boasting. And then verse 10. Look at this. This is just bizarre. Of him you are. Workmanship. A deed. It doesn't say we are his workmanship. The his is bumped to the front. See, this is emphasizing God. Paul's contrast, I mean, Paul's emphasis in this passage is our salvation is God. It's from God. It's of God. The gift we have is God's gift. And what we are is only important if we understand the emphasis that we're His. It's His workmanship that we are. And God takes the emphasis each step along the way in this passage. Um, For His workmanship we are. We are His workmanship, but it's His that's emphasized. We're created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of works that are good. And these are ones that He made beforehand, God made beforehand, so that in them we might walk. You see that emphasis? Really strong on God. Paul wants us to understand unquestionably that we have choices in this life. We can live this life as if we are our own source. I'm tempted to pick on your sister. Come up here. You don't want to come up here? Please, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Tell everybody your name. Come on. 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 I have just absolutely humiliated him. Tell him your name. Tell him how old you are. Brittany is 13 and walked up on a stage in front of 700 people. Brittany made me a friendship bracelet one time. Do you remember that? Okay, well, that was... It meant a lot to both of us. Brittany has choices in her life as a 13-year-old. Okay? Here's what Brittany can do. Brittany can choose to live a life that's directed by Brittany, or she can choose to live a life directed by the Lord. It's that simple. Thank you, Brittany. You did great. Okay, Blake. Now, here's one of her brothers. Blake, Brandon, come on, man. We'll get the whole, all the siblings up here at one time. Okay, let's go ahead and just knock it out. Okay. Now, introduce yourself. I'm Blake. How old are you? 17. All right, Brandon. I'm Brandon. Okay, oldest, middle child syndrome, youngest. I mean, middle child. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm a middle child. Um, Okay. We all have choices. Here we are, three men. Well, two men and a boy. Here we are. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Here we are. Um, We got choices on how we're going to do this. We can choose to live our life out of our works. We can choose to live our life out of our priorities. We can choose to live our lives directed by what we think is right. 
or we can choose to live our lives by the Lord. Those are different choices. Thanks, guys. Y'all did good. Those are different choices. And Paul's making the point here. He's drawing that distinction for us. He says you've been, by grace, you've been saved through faith. But then he's really clear. And this isn't out of you. It's out of God as a gift. It's not out of what you do. So that you might have reason to be proud of who you are. His workmanship we are. Created. Who did the creating? God. His workmanship we are. How? He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works. How, how, how am I the workmanship of God? How am I God's creation? By the way, that word created... Creation, workmanship, poema. We get the word poem from it, ultimately. It doesn't really mean poem, but I like the idea. You know, how am I God's poem? How am I His creation, His workmanship? The answer is that next phrase. I've been created in Christ Jesus. You know, we, we think, hey, I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. Yes, that is true. But Paul's focus here is, God created you new in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, don't focus on what you did. You focus on what God has done, is doing, will do. It's great focus. Okay, enough of that. Let's keep going. So, we go back to uh, word order is a marvelous thing. Signal words. We talked about this last week. Um, words like today, people will say like if they're uh, below the age of 18. They'll say, look it, if they're from Lubbock. Um, they'll say, just, or bam. You know, we use that illustration. Then it came to me this week. If you're from South Louisiana, or if you're Louisiana from North Louisiana, Uncle Cy has his own word. Hey. And he'll put hey in there all the time for some, hey. Listen, hey, here's the point. Hey, you doing okay? I mean, hey, that means focus. Pay attention to this. Hey, I got something to say. And he'll use hey. I was reading a, a, a book by a marvelous New Testament Greek scholar. Uh, he's now retired, Professor Emeritus, who's put a, together a translation of the Bible. And I was reading him about the way he translated this word, Edu in, in Matthew's writings, where Matthew means, pay attention to this. And, and Gidry translates it as behold. And he says, because we really just don't have an, an English word today that says, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. And I wanted to call him up and say, yes, we do. We got look it. We got hey. We got bam. We got all sorts of words. You just need to use them. So he decided he'd just continue using behold. And I'm sorry that still just doesn't do it for me. Behold, I have another point to make. Let me get to it. No, hey, look, I got to make another point. All right. 
Now, Matthew's fond of using you do to point to an emphasis. We looked at it last week. Here are some examples that we can look at this week. Matthew 8.32. If we look at it now, in this one it's translated behold, but it's just another marvelous passage that gives you an idea. And we'll just look at one or two of these that we didn't look at last week, and then we'll get to the final subject we're going to talk about. Look at Matthew 8.32, and let's take it back and start with about verse 28. When Jesus came to the other side, that's of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs. So fierce were these men that no one could pass that way. And behold, bam, hey, and hey, they cried out. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into that herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, it's just so mealy-mouthed. Lo- this is Emerald's bam. Put it in there, you know. And bam! The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. That's, pay attention. Look at the contrast between these two edus. In verse 29 and verse 32. The first one, Behold, look, look it. They cried out. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Don't torment us. Just throw us into the sheep. I mean the pigs. And then, bam, he does. And so it's the difference between the behold of them crying out, and the behold of what Jesus did and the effect that it had on them. And that is both focus points. And then there's one more at the end of this story. They drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everybody everything. What happened to the demon-possessed men? And then your final one. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, They begged him to leave their region. The men of the tombs have been tormenting the city. People can't even go by that way. And and they recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the demon-possessed men. So Matthew says, focus, pay attention. They see him as the Son of God. Pay attention. He is the Son of God who drives the demons out into the pigs and they go crashing down into the bank. And pay attention. The people ask Jesus to leave. They begged Him to leave their region. He sends the demons away 
they send the Son of God away. Do you see the contrast in the story? And you see how you can get that focus if you understand the beholds, the focus points. Matthew's saying, here are the three points. Bam, bam, bam. And you then pull those three points out and look at that focus, and it's incredible. Um, there are more, but I'm not going to take time. Matthew 12, 10, Matthew 26, 45 to 47, also marvelous. But I will need to get to the next one, double subjects. Now, I told you that Greek words like to wear signs uh, around their necks of sorts. And, and the verb in Greek, it wears a sign as well. And uh, it wears a lot of signs, actually. But one of the things that a Greek verb wears is a sign that tells you what or who the subject is. So a Greek verb itself can say, I, and I think Spanish can do this some too, yo hablo or hablo, is more colloquial, but just means I speak. In Greek, you have an ending that tells you what the verb is. So, for example, um, in Greek, I can say, uh, and I'm writing it in English here, pao. In Greek, it would be P A. U, Upsilon, Omega. Pao. Pao means I stop. All right, so this is I stop. If I wanted to say you stop, I still say pal, but instead of pao, I say pal ace. That means you, singular, stop. If I want to say, she stops, I still say, pal, which is the root for stop, but instead of saying, pal-o, or pal-ace, I'll say, pal-a. And that means, he, she, or it, stops. You with me? You kind of follow that? So all of that's in the Greek. Oh, I can say we stop, powo men. I can say y'all stop, powate. I can say they stop, pausi. It's all a question of what end goes on that word, pow. You with me? Now, if I want to write and I want to say I stop, all I got to do is write one word in the Greek. If I want to say I am, all I have to do in the Greek is write a me. It's one word, means I am. That's all, oops, can't see it, sorry. That's all I have to do. That means I am. Now, there is a Greek word for I. The Greek word for I is ego. Ego means I. Like, ego my lego? No. Lego my ego. Let go of me. I means uh, ego. We get the word ego from it. I mean, ego is, that's E-G-O. Ego. 
They just pronounced it ego. But that means I. Now, if I'm going to say I am, I can just say a me, I am. But sometimes the Greeks want to emphasize the I in that. So they'll say ego, a me. They'll use I along with I am. Or if they really want to stress something about Judge Clinton here, they'll not just say you are. They'll say you and then you are to give a double subject. So they put a, a an extra subject there. It's also called an express pronomial subject. But it's a double subject. So now they do that to emphasize the subject. So now let's look at a couple of examples that are in your lessons. The first one I have is from John 6.35. John 6.35. And here's what it says. And and it's fun to kind of look at this also and think about the word order as we look at it. Because we already know word order is important, right? So, Ipen, all by itself means he said. He said to them. And this is ho Jesus. That tells us it's the subject, Jesus. So this is an emphasis on what Jesus said. He said to them, Jesus, Ego, a me. That means I, I am. He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have to say it, uh, 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 doesn't have to say ego. Can simply say a me. But he says, ego a me. He's emphasizing who he is. John's emphasizing it by putting it as the first words in this discourse. I. I am. Ton arto, or ho artos. The bread. Te zoes. Of life. I. I am. The bread of life. When Pastor Stephen was preaching this morning and he talked about Jesus, he came close to saying the pizza of life. Didn't quite. He said, we're the pizza delivery person for the bread of life. I'm thinking, pizza, I like that. That's a, that's a Lubbock translation. Pastor Stephen's got, got it going. He just didn't quite bring it all the way home on that. But this is not pizza because they didn't have it. But it's the bread. But it's not the emphasis. This is not written to emphasize the sustenance of life. That doesn't mean it's not important. It is. But the emphasis is Jesus is I, I am. And that's front. And that's most important thing that you're going to get out of this statement. Jesus says, I, I am the bread of life. And the one who comes to me, not will hunger. And the one who believes in me, not, will thirst. Because Jesus is the sustenance. I, I am. You with me? You follow that? 
All right, look at the second one, Romans 9.20. Second example we have here. Oh, man. But anthropo here is not just man, it's human. Human. So it's women, you're not excused from this. And this is not Paul being gendery. This is, this is oh, person. This long word just means but in this context. Menunge. Oh, person. But, and, and but would generally not start a sentence. So this is, this is just normal grammar here. Oh, person. But who are you is the translation. But it actually says you who are you or who you are. <laughs> who are you is the translation. But Paul's emphasis is you. And he says you twice here. He doesn't need this word Sue. He doesn't need that you. He can just say, who are you, oh man, to answer back to God. But he's emphasizing, you, who are you to answer back to God? I mean, you, like look in a mirror. Take a moment and think about this. Oh human being? Do you really want to get into an argument with the Lord? Oh, human being, you! Who are you that you're going to backtalk God? Will something that my sister Catherine makes at the potter's wheel as she molds the clay. Look up to her and say, why'd you make me like this? I wanted to be a wine glass. You made me a casserole dish. No. No. Catherine makes what Catherine needs. Oh, human being, you, who are you? The answer back to God. See, you start reading the Greek, some of this preaches itself. Just off the emphasis. Look at Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.17. In English, it's translated, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But Paul, in his writing, says, kaiautos, and, that's and, he, and then that next word, esten, means he is. Before all things. And all things in him are held together. He he is before all things. Paul doesn't need to add that first he. It's already in the verb. But it's like he's stomping his fist. It's like he's underlining it. 
It's like he's putting it in bold. It's like he's got seven exclamation marks after it. If you're a young person texting. And he, he is before all things. Jesus is not an afterthought. Jesus isn't something that comes into your problems. Jesus isn't something to help you in your difficulties because he's coming to the scene. He, he is before everything. And in him, everything's held together. In him, it's held together. That could say it's held together in him. The auto could be shifted. But it's not. In him, it's held together. I had a chance to speak at uh, a a couple of commencement addresses this summer. And I was speaking at one uh, at Pepperdine University's Law School. And in the commencement address, I I brought up a, a tool bag. And I told them in, through law school, you've developed You've acquired the tools that you need to not only build a practice for yourself, but to build a better community and a better world if you use these tools wisely. And so I started pulling tools out of the bag and using those as my illustration points. And I pulled out a level. And I explained to him, Larry, a a level is something that builders use to make sure a post is upright or or a, a line is laid even. And, uh, you know, a level shows balance, and they need balance in their lives if they're going to be good. Is that type of a speech. But I pulled out a clamp, and I said, now this is a clamp. This is for holding it together when, it le- when you think it's all going to fall apart. Now, we got lots of places we can go to try and hold it together. And, and most of us are old enough that we've learned a lot of this. Some of y'all are still young enough, you get to figure it out. I got news for my kids. You can figure it out on your own. Or you can listen to those of us who are old enough that we've kind of figured some of it out. Right, Miss Carolyn? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's up to you. Because ultimately, everybody makes that choice for themselves. But here's the key. If we think we hold it together, or we think running away holds it together, or we think a relationship with another person holds it together, or we think we can hold it together by what we're eating or drinking or smoking or injecting or popping, or if we think we can hold it together if we just work hard enough, If we think we can hold it together, if we cut ourselves off from those things that hurt us. What we don't understand is He, He is before everything we've got right now that's falling apart. He is before who we are. He is before what we're doing. He's before our crisis. He's before everything we've got. And in Him, everything is held together. 
And that's the emphasis. It's in him that all of this is held together. And it's a marvelous, marvelous idea. And a wonderful place for us to be. And if you're reading the Colossians passage straight, look at the way it starts, this emphasis on Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the progenitor of all creation. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. You can guess where the the emphasis is in Paul's writing, by the way I'm using my voice. I could go through the Greek for you. But it's by Him all things were created. All things were created through Him. For Him. He is before all things. In Him, all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, He might be preeminent. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things. Making peace by His blood on the cross. That's it. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in his emphasis. And you read the Greek and it just slaps you on the face as a cold wake-up call. That Jesus Christ is the center of all. So with that, let's go to points for home. Um, ah, sorry. Got a little behind myself. Points for home. Here we go. I, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Emphasis. I, I am the bread of life. I want to see the Lord for who he is. We're going to experiment for just one moment. Dale Hearn, points for home. Most important thing he tells me every week. Here's the experiment. I want you to say this with me. I'm going to say it first. This is my request. That you say this and you mean it. That this week, I want to see the Lord for who he is. You ready? This week, I want to see the Lord for who he is. I can't see him fully. He told Moses, nobody sees his face and lives. But I want to see him more fully for who he is. You! Who are you? Oh, man. This week, I want to remember who I am. Say it with me. This week, I want to remember who I am. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This week, I want to trust God to hold it together. Say it with me. This week, I want to trust God to hold it together. Can I pray a blessing over you, please? Lord, I pray a blessing over my friends, my family, my loved ones over those listening near or far. And the blessing, Lord, is very plain this week that you would help us understand who you are more fully. And understanding you more fully, Lord, may we see ourselves more clearly and put our trust in you. Bless us in this way, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.